Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Debbie Montgomery fell in love online and ended up losing over a million dollars over a two year period. You gotta listen to this one to find out exactly how it happened. And most interestingly, how the fraud was revealed. I'd never heard anything like it before. Now she's helping others to avoid the same fate. She'll tell you how you can get all the help you need if you are a victim yourself. Enjoy. Debbie, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting. I'm so excited. This is really fun for me. Thanks for having me. You bet. Now, we, um, I, I don't really know you. So, so let's, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, you're in, where are you in Florida, right? I am. I'm in Lake Worth, Florida. Okay. Okay. And what, ha, let's, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic because, because, you know, we had it in the spring and it kind of died down and now it's back again, at least uh, where I am. And so what's your pandemic go to entertainment what have you been doing oh we're we're netflix bingers oh we are yeah we, we can't watch regular tv anymore because to click through the, the commercials it's just excruciating oh isn't it though yeah so we do a lot of netflix and uh i listen to audible books too i really like to listen to books on audible okay now uh, what's your favorite uh netflix you've watched um lately well the crown season four okay I finished that, and now we're watching Northern Rescue. You know oh, that one? I haven't seen that one. Um, is it good? Are both of those good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, different. I mean, The Crown, because I watched the four, the other three seasons, and I watched it. My husband wouldn't watch that, but we watch a lot of um, shows that are out of Iceland and Denmark and some, you know, cop shows, that kind of thing, oh, investigative okay. shows really fun well you know we watched um we watched the queen's gambit and um did you like it? it and uh we went out we were out at my husband's uh uh his family's place and they had an extra chess board we brought it back and learned how to play chess so <laughs> Very good. Good. It, it is it is hard <laughs> yeah i think my sons probably learned how to do it when they were little but i chess wasn't my game but i'm looking forward someone has mentioned that show to me so i'm looking forward to that one Oh boy. Well, okay. Let's jump in. So we met from our friend, Tim McGinnis, who you've been working with for a while. And he's, um, he's all about socially engineered relationship scams and preventing those. And so how, what, let's tell everyone, what's your connection there? Let's, let's just jump right in. I met Tim about three or four years ago. Um, this all happened, at, my husband passed away suddenly in 2010. He was 56, I was 52. And so uh, I jumped into online dating about six months later because my friends decided that I needed a life other than working. I was working a lot. And so we'll get into the story, but I met Tim after the fact. Uh, I had had an article written at the Palm Beach Post and the reporter said, you need to get a hold of Dr. McGinnis at SCARS, which is the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. I think he could help you to move forward, or maybe you could help him because you've come out with your story. And so I reached out to Tim and we 
we're like Mutt and Jeff right now. We do a lot of things together. Uh, he's Mr. Professor. He knows a lot about the scamming business and what's happened and how to help survivors. And I basically become the voice of the survivor. Got that it. Is, okay. okay. All right. So let's jump in. What happened? What happened is I, uh, my friends wanted me to get a life. And so they say, get, get uh, into online dating because at the time I'd been married for almost 26 years and I was really busy and I didn't really have time or the inclination to go out to look for a date. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't party. I didn't do those kinds of things. So I was really at home with my youngest son and I, I needed something that I could do from home. And I'd heard really great stories about friends that had met their husbands or their significant others online. And I, even my mom had a friend who was in her seventies and she met a wonderful guy. So I thought it would be the safest thing for me to do. I could do it from my, the security of my home. And I dipped my toe in. I went to a couple of faith-based websites thinking that that would be a good place for you know, men that might have same, not necessarily the same religious um, inclination, but they would be faith-based men mm -hmm. and be kind and nice. And, and I was very surprised at what I found um, for the 55 to 65 year olds. I was a little disappointed because my husband was bold and intelligent and, you know, he was a, he was an interesting man. And so I was, I was judging everybody based on what I had with Lou. And they couldn't write worth beans. It was worse than a fifth grader. Oh, it's uh, horrible. Online men are just. Um, uh, it was awful. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. They showed, up with, they showed up with wife beater t-shirts, you know, in front of motorcycles, not to say anything about that, but that wasn't me. So. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I met my husband online and it is the same everywhere. It doesn't matter what age group. You're just like, oh my God, are you serious okay so anyway keep calling so well, you pass the wife beater guys up and then what happened and then I was then I was then I was contacted by a very nice looking man he was 55 he was from England he was an international businessman I mean it, it just fed right into I what I was doing because I owned a company and I was looking for someone that I could travel with someone that had a you know might have had a family and he did he actually was a widower he had a son who I think Kenny at the time was maybe between eight and 10. Uh, and he was from London. And I thought, well, this is really cool. It's international. It's fun. It turns out that he was in, he was a contractor for hardwood trees. I had, uh, he didn't know this, but I did have investments in Costa Rica in hardwood trees. Huh, okay. So it was interesting. And I, I felt he was in Houston at the time. And so I'm like, well, maybe we can get together, but in the, in the first couple of weeks, he was working on a project that would take him over to Malaysia. He was going to be moving a large amount of trees from Malaysia to India. And so I, I did my due diligence as I thought. I looked up the company. I actually called the company and asked if they had a Dr. Eric Cole. And they told me no. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, he's a contractor, independent. So maybe he's not listed in the company uh -huh. list. Um, and when I would ask Eric questions about what he did and, and who he worked for, he always had a plausible reason for me not being able to find something. Oh, um, he always had an answer to something. And I, I trusted him. I had no reason not to trust him. You know, all I got was good things online. And uh, so that's how I met him. And he quickly, I, within probably two weeks, because he was traveling, said, can we get off the website and go to Yahoo Chat? 
Well, this was back in 2010 right. and Yahoo chat. I had nothing. I didn't know anything about it, but when we got on, it was cool. Cause I typed rather quickly and it was like instant messaging. Oh yeah. It was fun. And in the middle of the night, I would hear that ding, ding, ding of the, of the chat and I would run out of bed and we'd be online for hours. I mean, literally hours. And uh, I, I, the most amazing thing to me is during the two years that we were in this online relationship, I actually copied and pasted every single message, email, whatever that we had between us. And I put it in an online journal and I actually have 4,000 pages of printed journal. Oh my goodness. I haven't done that since, but it was amazing that I did that because I can look back now and see everything that I wrote to him. Uh-huh. So it was fun. It was an amazing experience. It was something that was safe enough for me, but put me out of my comfort zone of, you know, not being in a relationship for 20 something years. It was really tough to start dating at 52. Yeah. Huh? Oh my gosh. It was tough. Uh-huh. And all, all those, I'm not, you know, young, old enough. Well, I was old enough, but the things, <laughs> the things that hit you when you're 16, you know, I'm not pretty enough, smart enough, all those not enough things. And I'm thinking for crying out loud, you know, you were an intelligence officer for the Air Force. You were a senior bank manager. You had all these experiences. Of course, you're good enough. But you had to reprogram my mind because I was looking at everybody's pictures online and you start judging yourself based on everybody else's pictures. Sure, sure. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but it turned out to be a really interesting experience. And uh, I learned a lot about myself because I was able to write to him. I wrote down everything. I told him all my feelings about losing Lou and I, even how I got angry at him for dying, if you can imagine that. Um, no, I can imagine that. I told my husband who does some unhealthy things with, um, he did, he eats too much uh, junk. And, and I told him, I'm like, look, you're gonna have a heart attack. And if, and when you do, I'm gonna be mad at you. Because, so well, I get it. <laughs> that's how my husband died. He had a sudden heart attack and he was dead in half an hour. Oh. He was traveling, so he left home and he was out overnight. And the next morning, I get these phone calls that your husband died. And I'm like, wait, he just left here. Yeah, but yeah. he was overweight and he knew that. And he, he didn't want anybody telling him what he could and couldn't eat. And I basically stopped. I did not nag. I did nothing. I didn't expect him to live to 80, but I didn't think he'd die at 56. Uh-huh. And the worst part is that two months before he had decided, because he went into a new age group for life insurance, that he would cancel his life insurance. Oh, boy. So he did. After 30 years, he canceled his life insurance. And then two months later, he dies. That's what I got mad at, because even though I had his company, which I didn't know how to run and had to figure that out, Uh he left me with four beautiful children, but no life insurance. And I'm like, Shazam, you know? Why did we yeah, pay for you? Yeah. So the lesson there is don't leave your spouse without life insurance. Yeah. You know, suck it up and and you know the, but the premium went from $100 to $500 and he figured we had enough investments and everything else that we wouldn't need it. Well, silly us. You know? Yeah, oh my goodness. Oh boy. Okay, okay. So husband dies, you're online, you find the guy who's interesting and bald and what happens? And we started this great online friendship at first. Um, and it was interesting because people asked me, you know, it was the first time you did something, they sent money or whatever. And it really wasn't for us. It was a friend of his, um, was an engineer and he was stationed overseas somewhere and he was having trouble getting onto the website, the dating site. Uh-huh. And so Eric said to me, would you mind 
sending in a check to the dating site to get whatever his name was. I don't remember to get him in. And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, we need more men on this dating site. Uh I I sent a check in, which Tim would tell you that just gave credibility to another scammer. Um, But I just thought I was doing something fun for Eric. And it was Uh easy. From there, um, we actually, we talked about business a lot. Uh His business, my business, he wanted to know how I ran my business and all these kinds of things. And I was interested in his because it was hardwood trees. He was international. He was moving things. And and then it turned into uh, there were issues with customs and issues with tariffs and things that were happening. And he goes, I got to know his attorney, his sister and his son. So that was the most interesting part of this thing is I had Yahoo chat messages up. I had one night, three, one from his sister and his son, one from him and one from his attorney. And I was going back and forth between all of them. And it was extraordinary. But now, now wait, back up. Was it really his sister and his attorney and his son? I have no idea. Okay. All right. I all right. So. And I would ask the sister questions about him to find out about him and his, and his uh, deceased wife. And then I would talk to his attorney. And I mean, I was trying, that was when I was trying to be investigative, I guess. I was trying to find out about Eric by the people he was around. And Mary, his sister and I were, we had extraordinary conversations and, and then she would be there in England taking care of Kenny because Eric was traveling and Kenny would get on and I swear I was talking to a child. It was the most, I mean, he wrote like a child. It was fun. I, he asked me if I could call him mom after a while. And, and I said, are you sure? I mean, I remember that conversation, but we were going back and, and I felt like I was really talking to multiple people and I probably was, they don't work by themselves. Um, and I wish I was a fly on the wall to see actually how they did it. But I felt like I was getting to know the whole family. And that was really important to me because family is really important. Uh-huh. And I think, and I look back and, you know, I, even today, I would do almost anything for my family. And Eric had become part of my family at that point. We, we were sharing everything from a distance. Again, it was safe because it was from a distance, sure, but sure. he brought me into his, into his business and in such that, you know, we had to set up power of attorneys and we had to do this and that. Oh, and, yeah. And, and that cost money. And I knew that because I'd been a paralegal when I was young. And so I just felt, well, maybe it was a little more expensive the way they were doing it. But again, it was international and Peter was a lawyer. And I actually wrote to the legal powers that be in London and said, is there an attorney by the name of Peter? I can't remember his name right now. And they wrote me a really nice letter back saying, nope, we don't seem to have somebody by that name. And, and I asked, I asked Eric, I said, why is Peter not listed? And, and again, he gave me an answer. I don't remember what it was, but it was plausible. There was always a plausible reason for me getting the answer I didn't huh. really want. Um, so then I started sending him money. The first, the first time was for a power of attorney. And it was through- And how, how much was that? It was $2,500. Oh boy. And it yeah, was that through- sounds like a lot for a power of attorney. It was through Western Union and I'd never done Western Union. I always had this kind of ew, creepy feeling about that. And I had to go to the grocery store and do it. And I was sending it to him. I think he was in Malaysia. But it wasn't to him. It was to a friend of his who was going to pick it up because Eric's not from there, but his friend lived there. Well, I've learned a lot about Western Union since then, and they've had a huge lawsuit. And Oh, yeah. Well, don't they don't they now train the front line to uh, ask the questions and and refuse? um, Yes. Yeah. It was back in 2010 before the lawsuit. 
Now they're much more skilled, although uh, things still happen, but they can shut people down much faster than they would back then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Okay, so you send me the $2,500 power of attorney. What's next? It went on from there. And uh -huh. at one point, you know, I've got to preface this by saying I'm one of those damn Yankees, very frugal. I didn't sit, you know, give money to many people. Uh -huh. um, and so it was so out of character for me. But again, at that point, Eric had become my life. Uh -huh. And I just, I felt like I was helping him because the sooner we got his job done, the sooner he'd be coming home. And that was the goal was to get him home to me for the holidays or for, and that didn't happen. That was the first disappointment is when we had made plans for his sister and son to come over and he was going to come over. And at the last minute we had to cancel. And now have you done a video chat with this guy or was it all text? It was all through emails and through Yahoo chat. Oh boy. Okay. There was, there was no FaceTime and that kind of stuff back then. Uh -huh. uh, and when I asked him about Skype, he, again, he was in, in Malaysia, he was in Hong Kong. He was in places that when he told me he didn't have good internet service, I had to believe him. I had no reason not to. Um, I found out a lot since then that they have very good internet services. Um, so no, I never actually saw him online except for writing. And I never saw him in person because he was, hadn't gotten here yet. That was the goal was to get him here. So, and this was for two years. So yeah, I had the ups and downs of the emotions of, you know, why aren't you here? This is ridiculous. It's getting so, it's so long and every, things just kept coming up and not enough. So to say that for me to say this, I'm done. Cause by then I was so emotionally involved uh -huh. and financially involved. I kept thinking one more time, just one last time and we'll get him here. Because if I were to walk away at one point, I was like, well, I've got so much invested in him. I want to make sure I get it back. Uh -huh. I, didn't, I didn't want to leave him like on the last rung. Uh -huh. So I kept going and, and it was, it was extraordinary up and down. And, um, you know, one day it just came crashing and burning. <laughs> How did, what was the tip for the crashing and burning? He actually came online and it was September 10th, 2012. So we were, we were almost two years into it. Uh -huh. And I remember he, he woke me up early and he started the conversation. How do you feel about forgiveness? Oh, so I put that's on, not, that's not bad the way to start a conversation. Oh. No, it was very interesting because we went for hours and we, you know, I, I was very spiritual and I put on my, I tell him it was my, uh, my forgiveness hat. And I started talking to him for hours about how I felt about forgiveness and what we needed to do. And then all of a sudden we got disconnected and I said, well, that was par for the course. It usually happened when we were talking, he came back on a little while later and he said, do you remember what we were talking about earlier? And we rehashed it. And at one point I, I said to him, have I done something? Why, uh -huh. why are we talking about this? And he said, no, he goes, I need to know that you can forgive me because what I'm, I, what I'm going to say to you is going to hurt you. And I was like, well, you don't really have to tell me that if it's going to hurt. He goes, I have a confession to make. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've heard a confession once in my life and it wasn't a good thing. Uh huh. He said, are you sure? And he said, yes. So he came out and confessed. He said, Deb, this has all been a scam. He just told you. He told me. <gasps> and oh. I'm like, I'm like, no, there's something wrong. Are you sick? Because he'd been ill. He'd, you know, had certain illnesses throughout the uh -huh. two years. And I said, you, you've got something is wrong. And he goes, no, I'm sorry, but this has been a scam. And at that point, I'm like, 
well, now you're lying. You have to prove to me that it's a scam. And so he said on Yahoo chat, which I didn't know, there's, uh -huh. a, there's a camera function. He said, I'm going to come on live and I will show you who I really am. And I'm like, holy moly. And so I'm looking at my computer screen. I've got dual screens and I'm looking at my handsome Brit, you know, my picture of my handsome Brit. Yeah. And then up pops this little camera. And now I'm looking at this dark hair, dark eyed, dark skinned young man with a huge smile on his face. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what has happened here? And it turns out to not be Eric. His name is Joseph. Uh -huh. and jo Joseph is probably 35 years old from Nigeria. And he proceeds to say, can we keep this going? And I'm like, not on your life. Uh -huh. He says, is it because I'm young and black? And I'm thinking, well, no, not really, maybe. But I said, you have lied to me for two years. Uh -huh. You have taken over a million dollars from me. A million. Oh, oh, my goodness. And I didn't have a million. I found it. You know, as I said, I would do anything for family. I found it. I sold jewelry. I cashed in my retirement accounts. I, I had some silver. I sold my silver. I did everything I could to help him to get home to me. And he promised, you know, all along that he was going to repay and that we would be fine. He was going to get a large amount of money for this job. And so when that all came crashing and burning, I'm sitting here with my camera or my phone. And I actually was able to take a picture of the real guy. One picture. And it's, I, I ended up writing a book. It's in my book. And it was just such an unusual thing because scammers don't usually confess. Yeah. Oh, and my they gosh. They certainly don't do it in person. But, you know, the greatest thing about that is that in an instant, I was able to separate the story from my heart and from my brain because I saw him. And then all the training I'd had in my in my work experience came kicking in. I'm like, OK, so what do I do to because I watch a lot of shows with the FBI, right? <laughs> what can I do to catch him now? You know, keep him engaged because then we can catch him. And I, I, you know, maybe they can get the IP addresses or whatever. I had all this information and he wanted to keep it going because he said to me that he had developed feelings for me. And I was like, you know what? If, if he had been honest about the whole thing from the very beginning that he needed help with his siblings or whatever the story, you know, his real life was, I'm a nice person. I probably could have helped him, not for a million dollars, but I said, you have ripped out my heart and you've completely ruined my finances. And, you know, and the worst part is I involved my mother and father. They had asked, I had asked them to help me with a hundred thousand dollars and bless their hearts. They did. Oh, so now I'm thinking, how can I get my parents' money back? You know, how do I get the money back? And so I kept him, I kept in touch with him at that point. Cause he said, you can turn me in, you can get the police to do whatever they need to do. And I'm like, you know, I'll, I didn't tell them that what I was going to do, but the next day I did call my parents right away and they came over. And for me, it was actually worse than the day Lou died because now I was involved in it and I had given away all this money to someone that I didn't know. Uh -huh. I thought I knew I didn't. And I involved my mom and dad. So we went to the FBI the next day with my 4,000 pages of journal and my three ring binder and meticulous financial records. And I told them the whole story. And the first thing he said is in Palm Beach County, more men get taken for over a million in online scam than women, but they'll never tell you. Huh. Wow. And they, unless he's here in the United States, we can't get him. 
Uh-huh. <gasps> and at that point, I'm like, I'm done. Uh-huh. I, just, I just closed up. I just, I, my book is called The Woman Behind the Smile. And I became the woman behind the smile. I just, I didn't tell anybody what happened. I made up a story that it just didn't work out. And they're like, what? It's been two years. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, I just was so embarrassed. So um, feeling so guilty about what I'd done. It was just devastating. And I'm like, I'm going to hide now. I'm not going to tell anybody about this. Um, It's just, I was so well-trained. It should never have happened to me. Yeah, you just got sucked in. Your heart led you in. So what was the biggest chunk of money you sent? Well, it was over two years. It was a million. So I probably 100000 at a time, you know, wired. Um, I didn't, you know, again, I found it because he had a reason for me to find it. Uh-huh. And when, you know, when we got to the point where it was, I didn't know it was that much until the very end when I added it up because, you know, <gasps> things happen and, and I, I had all the records. Um, but it was, it was always, um, I had to do it quickly. And that's the thing. He was always, we got to do it today. We got to do it today. Go to the bank right now. You know, if you have any problems here, call, you know, text me or call me or whatever. I, I, I think I talked to him probably two or three times through the whole time. He did have a British accent. Yeah. Which, you know, but the one time that I talked to him, my, one of my boys had intercepted, he was here visiting. He had intercepted one of our messaging, our Yahoo messages. And uh-huh. My son came unglued and he just rip and blew this guy apart. And I, I got so embarrassed at what my son had said to this man. I really got on my son and I basically said, get out of the house, go take a walk. I said, I didn't teach you to be that unkind to people. Uh-huh. And boy, did I eat humble pie later on. I had to really apologize to my son. Um, but I called, I called Eric up at that point and I, and I, I could hear him just upset. And I was trying to say, I'm so sorry about what my son just said. And, you know, and, and he at that point, but not only then, but all the time kept trying to isolate you from your family and friends. They don't want you to listen to anybody but them. Huh. And you get sucked into it. Again, I was at home. Um, I, I was working for the school district as a treasurer at the time that Lou died. And then when Lou died, I did that. Plus I ran his company. Um, after about, after a while, I realized I would do better just working the company. So I stayed home. So visualize me at home alone. My three older kids were gone. My youngest was foot, playing football. He was always out of the house. Eric became my lifeline and I, he could get a hold of me any time of the day. And it was just so exciting that all those endorphins and the emotions. Yeah, yeah. And so he was, he was my life. And looking back on it, you know, it was just like, how in the world could you do that? But it, it, they're so skilled at the manipulation at drawing you in. And that's what the FBI said, you know, you're a victim of manipulation and whatever. And I was like, I'm not going to be a victim. I refuse to be a victim to this. Um, I, I always say that my last suit has no pockets. I can't take the money with me. Uh It It would be nice to have it in the bank right now. Yeah. But I was not going to let him and the actions of him suck me to nothing, you know, uh-huh. get angry because I lived with, you know, people that were angry around me at times. And I was like that. It just hurt them. It didn't hurt me. I mean, it did hurt me, but it not, I didn't let it. And I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get revenge on him. Although every man in my life wanted to fly to Nigeria and just get him. Yeah. Huh? Oh my goodness. <laughs> my dad to my sons, to my husband's best friend is like, yeah. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I can't do that. I just feel like what, what goes around comes around. And 
I have to, I had to take the upper hand in this just to make myself feel better so that I could move on. Uh-huh. And I, I knew I was not going to get the money back, even though right. he, at one point he promised he would get it to me someday. And I'm like, mm, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. So, so then tell us like, wh- how did you evolve into doing what you're doing now? Like you went from hiding to, to really activism, I guess, in a, in a sense. So t- how does, how does that come together? It happened when I had gone, I belonged to a, a women's group called Women's Prosperity Network. And I'd gone to one of our business of speaking conferences down in Fort Lauderdale. And at lunch, I was sitting with a couple of girlfriends and one of them mentioned online dating. She tells me that I rolled my eyes at her and I don't usually do that. And she said, what gives? Tell me what just happened here. And so I said, okay, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anybody before. Uh-huh. And I told her what happened. And she said, you have to tell your story. I'm like, no, I can't tell that story. And another friend of us, a friend of ours that was sitting there said, you need to tell your story because my mom was taken for $80,000. <gasps> okay. And then somebody else came over and said, I was in a Ponzi scheme, not once, but twice. And I kept getting all these really intelligent entrepreneurial women telling me how they've been scammed and how none of them wanted to speak up. Uh-huh. So over that weekend, I crafted the end of my talk, which was basically... I'm inviting everybody to the world premiere of the woman behind the smile. And they were speechless. They're like, when's the movie coming out? When's uh-huh. the book coming out? I'm like, I just made that up. They said, no, you've got to do this. Uh-huh. You've got to write your book. You've got to get this out because we have to warn people that this is happening. And it's happening to very well-trained, intelligent, financially well-off men and women. And they're not talking about it. And I was like, you know, if someone had mentioned to me that there was scams online, I would have listened a little bit better than I did. Yeah. But this was in 2010, 2012. This is 2020. Yeah, 2020, 2021. Yeah. I still get, I'm like, what's the date? I still get letters and emails from women. I got one the other day from a doctor in the North Carolinas. And she said, Deb, thank you for telling your story. I wish I had heard it before I went into online dating. She lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh boy. Another woman in, in Austin, Texas, she had she was st- single at 67. She was a very well-rounded person, had retired from business and was finally at a point. She's like, I'm ready to find love. I'm ready to do travel and do all this stuff. She contacted me. She'd been taken for two and a half million. <gasps> oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So, so you wrote the book and um, what are your, what are the main tips? Like, like if we could leave people here with a couple tips on how to spot these scams before things really hit the pocketbook, what, what are like maybe your top three? Okay, there are a lot of tips. There are a lot of things to look for. The first thing I would really encourage people to do is if you're going into online dating, don't ever tell them that you're a widow or that you're divorced. If you're in online dating, you ought to be single, okay? So don't put that in your profile. Don't talk about business that you own. Um, Have a dating buddy. I think that we need to have dating buddies, someone that can be a little more objective and kind of calm your your emotions down, you know? Because it's that shiny object syndrome. We see somebody really good looking, we're like, oh, this is the one. Well, if they're in a military uniform, it's a scammer. If their pictures are too good to be true, do a, do a Google search on them and find out if that picture has been used before because a lot of really good looking men 
they might be businessmen, they might be actors, they might be whatever, their pictures are being used. Military is definitely a scammer. Mm -hmm. um, do, not, do not do that. If someone moves you quickly into or off of the dating site, and the dating sites, they say not to do it, but they, they are not, I mean, I think every dating site for people over 50 ought to have public service announcements. Be careful of scammers, be careful of pictures, you know, don't go off the dating site. And if you do, just be careful, don't send money because the scammers want you off the dating site. And the dating sites will say, well, we told you. I'm like, but you didn't tell us. Right, you know, right. I don't think they do a good enough job in telling. Um, but if they'll move you quickly into, I guess now it's probably WhatsApp or, or even they'll text. Yeah. Um, it's changed a little bit, but it moves very quickly. And the first thing that Tim would tell you is don't ever send money. Don't send money to a stranger. But what happens when they say don't send money to a stranger, this, the guys, the scammers, men and women, they become friends. They become family. Sure. And at that point that they ask you for money, it's like I would be giving a friend money. Not somebody I didn't know, because at that point, I felt like I knew him. Well, yeah, yeah, the relationships are. And I'll tell you what's interesting is that, well, because, you know, I'm a body language expert, and I have this little hobby that I help my friends find uh, the right guy online, and they will, they'll send me pictures. They're like, what do you think of this guy? And I'll say, okay, great. Here's, your, here's his primary response, probably when he gets stressed. And I'm like, you know, this guy is good. This guy is not not good like because i know my friends personalities and i'm like no not not him and and um one of my friends and i think i don't know i might have told you this when we talked on the phone the other day i told she sends this picture she's like what about this guy i said under no circumstances are you to go out with this guy and so she starts listening to another friend and she ends up going out and he ends up being a stalker stalks her for like a couple of weeks and and i was like look i told you that this was going to happen. Like I told you to not do that. And, and you know what, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm not going to do this anymore because I'm trying to tell you something. Cause for whatever reason I have the training or the sixth sense or the magic or whatever to tell about these guys. And, um, there's a lot of creeps out there and you do have to be careful whether, you know, they're, they're hiding behind uh, text chat or or they actually show their real picture but then you know the ones with the pictures that are just too good looking like like our friend uh jeffrey hazlett like he gets yeah. used all the time in in these situations and um and he's he has several i'm sure 30 to 50 profiles of him out there that aren't aren't him and he'll get contacted uh for scamming and he's like sorry it wasn't me Exactly. And, and I actually, I, I do have a show called Stand Up and Speak Up, and I've interviewed a couple of guys. And one is a friend of mine. His name is Brian Denny. He's a retired Army colonel. His picture's been used by thousands. Mm -hmm. He cannot get off his picture offline. So he, he told me, he said, Deb, I'm breaking up with women every day. And it's ruining him because he's married with a son that's in college. And he's like, this is just, and it's, he doesn't, he didn't want to retire from the military and be consumed by trying to defend his picture. Right. But, he, but the thing is, the, and that's what Tim and I try to do, is that for the women that have been scammed by somebody like that, we have to let them know that he is a victim of impersonation, of right. an identity th a theft, mm -hmm. and not to go stalking him because now you're the criminal. You right. know? <laughs> have to realize that the pictures that are being taken, they're being, that's identity theft. And there are more than one victim in this, in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. tough. And I, feel, I really feel for the guys and girls 
Um, I mean, I had a woman contact me from London a couple weeks ago, and she was sure that this young, good-looking young soldier who has since gotten out of the military and living out west, that he is, that the army is saying that he is in Utah, wherever they say right, he is. Right, right. Because he's really still overseas, and he's really over there, and he's contacting me, and he still wants money. And I'm like, he's not. He's out of the military. He's living with his family. He's running a company. Well, I looked at his Instagram and his, some of his online stuff, and he's basically baiting the scammers saying, you know, come after me now, you know, use me. And I'm like, ah, that's not the thing to do. Okay. You, have, you have to recognize that women are falling for you. And so put it out there that that is not me. Those are pictures that have been stolen of me. It's not me. And I, I'm sorry it happened to you, but don't come after me. Um, and it's, it's tough. And, and we can't, seem to really get a handle on getting those pictures offline because you can report one scammer and then they'll put 10 profiles up, you know, oh, so yeah. until Facebook, I mean, it's not just Facebook and, and dating sites. It's words with friends. It's any kind of uh, social media. Now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Full of scammers, full of scammers. And you just have to be aware and beware, be aware of what they do, what they say and how they reel you in. You know, there's a science, there's a psychology of a scam. And I wish I'd known this years ago, um, but most of us don't until it's too late. And then for our women, we're trying to prevent them from getting scammed. At some point, you know, it's a tipping point where you get sucked in, you can't get out until you're broken, broken. Right, okay, okay. okay. So let's, uh, two, two questions, and then we gotta wrap, wrap it up here. So. Are you okay now? Do you have, have you recovered financially? Like, are you going to, like, you're not living in an alley by the dumpster? Okay. No, I actually was very fortunate because I wasn't going to let this stop me from living my life. Um, I got into dating soon after. Don't ask me how I did it or why I did it. Uh -huh. um, and I met a couple of awful guys online, but a friend of mine was a matchmaker and she set me up with a gentleman who I am married to. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got remarried a few years after the scam and we've been married five years now. Okay. So I'm doing great. Um, financially we're doing, you know, we're doing well, uh, not based on my finances, but because <laughs> of my husband. So there is a, there is a point that, you know, the women that have been taken, it's very, it's devastating financially. Many have lost their homes. Many have lost their, their um, retirement accounts, okay. which I did. Uh, and you can't recover from that. So that's, that's the toughie. Um, what am I doing? I, you know, I'm the advocate. I started the woman behind the smile, which is a nonprofit. I work with, I'm on the board of directors of scars, which is a nonprofit. We are trying to take this around the globe from the victim's point of view. There's a lot of cybersecurity information out there. It's all based on, you know, the companies and protect your home and all this kind of stuff. But we are one of the only organizations in the world that is working with the victims. And it's, it's hard because we, we've, make ourselves feel guilty. We, we harbor the blame and the shame, but many victims get that as, um, Brett Johnson will tell you, Brett's a former scammer. And oh great. yeah. Brett, Brett uh, was one of the best at it. I think I love Brett because he's become an advocate for us. And, uh, and I learned a lot from him, but we go through the shame blame, the victim blame, you know, and our families, particularly and close friends, will shame you into, you know, how in the world did you do that? You're a smart woman, blah, blah, blah. And so that shuts you down. Mm -hmm. And and that's no good for you. 
so what I try to do is, is I'm available if somebody has been a victim to this or family members that need to speak to somebody, I know what they've been through and they will feel comfortable contacting me or the women at SCARS, um, even Dr. Tim, because we know we've been there. I feel it in my heart what they're going through. Oh yeah. And we try to give them tools. Uh, we, we show them how to go to law enforcement and what to say and what not to say and how to say it. Uh, and maybe they can get some assistance from the government, you know, through the States or whatever. Um, but they have to realize that yes, they were a part of something. They've got to own it mm-hmm. and realize they've got to forgive themselves and as best they can forgive what happened, maybe not forget it, but totally disengage from contact with any. Yeah, experience. yeah, absolutely. Um, now, be really now, careful. How can people get a hold of you? They can contact me at Debbie, which is D-E-B-B-Y at the woman behind My website is actually the woman behind And I suggest that they go to against scams.org, uh, romance which is part of scars. And, uh, and if they've been a victim, get involved in, in scars, because again, the society of citizens against relationship scams. We have incredible information and resources available for free. And, uh, and it's, it's a marvelous organization. Got it. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for sharing your story and being so transparent and, and, and joining me on Fraud Busting today. Thank you, Tracy. I, you know, I just don't want anybody to be, to be taken again. And I know I can't stop every single one, but if I can stop one, that's my goal. Oh, I think, I think you have. I think you stopped more than one even just today. <laughs> Let's hope. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.